dispensational truth. And we're going to really look at a transitionary period now between what we had covered in the dispensation of, of law, which was from Moses to the, uh, the death of Jesus Christ. Of course, as we know, the, the New Testament came to be at the death of the testator. And so at that point, uh, there was a, a, a transition Sorry, I'm moving from the, the dispensation of law to grace. But there's a unique period here that we're going to look at. And, and honestly, tonight, I wasn't uh, really looking forward to, uh, to teaching this. It was a hard thing to study out. And so tonight, it, hopefully you've uh, brought your thinking caps a little bit and, and just paying attention. But I didn't want to ignore it. And, you know, one of the things that you're going to, we're going to, you're going to learn as you really dig into and become serious about studying your Bible, is there are some things that's going to be hard to study. And there are some things that's just not going to be so straightforward as far as understanding it. And to be honest with you tonight, as I studied through it, there's still some things in this period that I don't quite understand. But I'll give you what, what I think um, we, what God has already given me. And uh, we're going to look at this period of, uh, of transition between law and grace. You understand that when you go through the, the Word of God, even as we've looked at the different dispensations so far, probably the biggest, uh, the biggest jump of administration or dispensation that God is going to give is going to be between law and grace. And He's going to move from, uh, from dealing with, uh, in, its, in, in, in His entirety, the, the nation of Israel as a whole to individuals and specifically Gentiles. And uh, we're going to see that in a, in, in, as we go through and look, hopefully, Lord willing, next week uh, on the dispensation of grace. But then we need to take in this period. And uh, this period, we can't really call a dispensation because it doesn't have the characteristics of one. But it, it is nonetheless in the Word of God. And so we can't just ignore it. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And hopefully, uh, you're going to learn tonight and, and really... Um, we won't make too many practical applications tonight, I don't think. Uh, what we'll do is, is look at some things that, uh, that hopefully will put, uh, put a bit more understanding when you do read through uh, the pages of Scripture in this period. And it's really important because at times we can, um, we can forget that God deals in certain ways in certain times. But then over all of that, the catch is this, God is sovereign. And sometimes God doesn't fit in our, our theological box. And even if, when you study the Bible in, its, in the right way, in, in divisions, as, as the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15, God still doesn't fit and make it fit so, quite so cleanly as we would like it to be as, uh, as, uh, as uh, a finite beings or limited in our understanding. We want things to just fit like so. But sometimes it doesn't. And there's, this is a certain period that we're, if you're going to study through the, your Bible and not just sort of have a casual reading of it, and there's going to be things here that's familiar to us that, that we can make application and really certainly get some lessons for life. But really, in we, if we take it in its doctrinal context here, we're going to just take it as is. All right? And so that's, that's what I want to give you tonight. And, and the, the period that we're going to specifically focus on is this period of, uh, from the death of John the Baptist to the conversion of a Gentile. 
the, the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and it's really, it's a unique period. It, it was a period that covered the ministry of Christ and then the early days of the Apostles' Commission. So uh, just to start off with, just to get the context here, Matthew 3, 11, and I think we understand who John the Baptist is. Okay, he was a forerunner of Christ. He, he came to, uh, to, um, to go before Christ, announce his coming, uh, announce uh, his, his, uh, his ministry uh, while he was here on earth. And here he is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, and he's speaking about uh, his ministry and then the one to come. And he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me, okay, speaking about the Lord Jesus, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Notice verse 12, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat unto the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless and help us tonight. Uh, I pray, Father, that you'd help us, Lord, as we, we study this, uh, uh, these passages of Scripture. And certainly, Lord, uh, we, we are the first to admit uh, that, Lord, we're, we're finite. We, we really are limited, uh, Lord, in our understanding. But, Lord, we believe that through the Spirit of truth, you will guide us unto all truth. And so I pray that even as we study this thing tonight, that you'd help us uh, to put this into context, even as we, we are equipped to study further our Bibles. And I pray, dear Lord, that you'd help us uh, to understand, uh, Lord, to, to, uh, to accept by faith some things that perhaps is, is hard to, to be understood. And I pray that you'd help us this evening. I pray, Lord, uh, certainly, Lord, even as I teach, for your spirit to enable me, and Lord, for, for there to be clarity of thought. And I pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. And uh, Matthew 3.11, speaking about... Uh, the, the ministry of John the Baptist. And uh, you understand he, he got the name John the Baptist because he was baptizing. Okay? He was immersing people and he would, he would call to repentance and then baptize. All right? and, and so th- that was John's message uh, during his time of ministry here on earth. I think he, he understood some things, obviously, about the Lord Jesus. Look at uh, John chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1 and uh, just a couple of... Uh, Things here to, to introduce, to give us a context of who John is and then, and then why that's significant. Look at John 1 verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. And, and notice what he declares and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And so there were some things that John the Baptist understood about Jesus. He understood that he was to be uh, uh, the, the Lamb of God who's going to take this, the way, away the sins of the world. He, understand, he understood that, that Jesus uh, wasn't just someone who was coming after him, but he was someone who was before him. He was eternal. That he was the Son of God. He understood that. And, and so John understood some things about Jesus, and he understood that as he preached this message uh, of repentance, that he was pointing to Christ and, and really his ministry to follow. He, he said it there in Matthew chapter 3, uh, in the verses that we read earlier, verse 11, that he was going to indeed baptize, uh, he, uh, indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy. He says, I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So he understood that he wasn't going to be the same, that Jesus was going to not just baptize with water, 
he was going to baptize of the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and we understand that, that the, the process that at, the, at the point of, of salvation, that, that really we are baptized with the Holy Ghost. He re, we receive Him, right? That He indwells, he, he dwells in us. And so he's saying here, he, he, John understood that Jesus was the Messiah who would baptize not with water like himself, but, but, but baptized with the Holy Ghost. But then also, secondly, with fire. He, he makes note that. And, and so I think John understood the statement about this baptism by fire. He indicated he understood the, the prophecies of the Messiah in his role as judge. He, he came to judge, to, to, uh, to judge the world and uh, to show forth his judgment with fire. And if you look at that in, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, turn back there. Last book of your Old Testament. And I'm fully aware tonight that, um, that for some of us, this is going to go over our head. So I want to challenge you okay, to just listen in and then also then to study it out for yourself later. But Malachi chapter 4, notice verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. So we understood about the Lord Jesus in, in prophetically here that it was going to come to burn, to judge. It was going to come to judge those who were proud, who would do wickedly. And, and I believe that, uh, that John the Baptist was referencing this in his understanding of Jesus and who he was. He was going to baptize with the Holy Ghost, but he was also going to come uh, and, and we know this one day as judge and, and, and set the world on fire. And so he preaches this and he understood some things as far as who the Messiah was. So that's his message. But you understand, even as great a man as John the Baptist was, and you understand even the Lord Jesus in commenting about John the Baptist, he was the greatest born among women, that he was this mighty prophet uh, sent from God, that he demonstrated that he was limited in his own understanding, and even John doubted. You understand? Look at Matthew chapter 11. Look at Matthew 11. And, and we know the, the situation there. If we, if we study it a little bit, we understand that, that John was in prison while, whilst he was hearing all these stories about Jesus doing miracles, but in his own life, it just seemed like he was stuck. And, and I guess we can learn lessons from that, but just look at it from, uh, from a historical context here. Matthew 11, verse 1, It came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding His disciples, He departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. So, uh, so John was sitting in prison. He hears about all of the things that, that Jesus was now doing as He launched into His earthly ministry. And He sends two of His disciples. And here's the question in verse 3, and said unto him, Art thou, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? He's doubting now. As he sits there in prison and, and, and hearing about all these things that Jesus was doing, he's going, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that, that was foretold? Are you the one that I had been announcing? And even John, as great a man as he was, demonstrated that he had the propensity there and a limitation of his understanding. 
that somehow he had questions. And then in response to John's questions, you understand Jesus reassured him that he was indeed the foretold Messiah. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And what he was saying was this, indeed I am he. Don't be offended in me. Uh, I know, John, you're in prison, but indeed I am the Messiah of which you were foretelling, or of which you came forth and you were, uh, I am the one. And so what I'm saying is even John had some, some limitation of understanding. He still had doubts. There were some things that, that he, he, he was privy to, but there were other things that he was not quite clear on. And, and we sometimes we sort of look at men in the Bible as great as John the Baptist and forget their man. And forget, just like we, at times, we can like understanding. And he, he certainly... As man, he wasn't perfect. He had some time there where in, in the prison, specifically, he perhaps was discouraged and doubted. And so we see that, that that was the ministry of John the Baptist. This was really the beginning of the end for him. We're going to see his death later on in John chapter, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 14. So turn there with me, Matthew chapter 14. And here's the situation in verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. And, and, and he said that. Here's why. Because he knew that John was dead. Why? Because he killed him. <laughs> in verse 3, For Herod had laid hold on John okay, and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. And we understand that the... the with the situation in Herod had taken his, uh, his sister-in-law, had taken her for himself. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. John, being the bold preacher that he was, preached against the sin of the political, uh, the political agenda of the day, those who were in rulership. And when, he had put, uh, and when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And so foolishly, Herod said this thing. He said, you know, because you have pleased me in your dance, whatever you want, I'll do. And, and notice what, what her bidding was. And, and she being before instructed of her mother, said, give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake. And them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And so he knew for certain, even as he was questioning whether Jesus was the risen John the Baptist, he knew for certain that John the Baptist was dead because he did it himself. That, was the, that, that really marked here um, a time where... where uh, John, obviously John's ministry on the earth was no longer, it was finished. And then notice what happened next here in verse, um, verse 12. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. He to they told Jesus. Then notice when Jesus heard it, 
He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had, had heard thereof, they followed him on a foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. And if you note there and you study through, you're going to start to see that, that after Jesus's, sorry, after John's demise, after his death, Jesus' ministry really starts to gain ground. He really starts to, he starts to minister to multitudes. He starts to reach into the, the uh, social uh, consciousness of the nation there. And um, this really marked a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a shift now. Jesus was, was, uh, was, was now at the forefront. And though, though that was the case, notice though that Jesus' message during this time was still distinctly Jewish. So around this, when all of this was happening, while John was in prison, later we see there in John, Matthew 14, he's beheaded and he's dead, that in all of this, there were some things that were starting to also happen in Jesus' ministry. And specifically, he was still preaching to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, in Matthew 10, look at verses 5 and 6. And we'll turn to, to lots of scripture tonight. Notice verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent forth. So the, the 12 he chose as his disciples. And notice what he commands them, commanded them saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Later when he was dealing with a, a, a Gentile woman, he says to her in, in, in chapter 15 verse 24, he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so Jesus was specifically preaching to the lost sheep of Israel. He was, he was, his ministry and his message was toward those who were of the nation of Israel. And, and yet during this time, as, as he was growing in prominence, as he was growing in the multitudes that were following him, you understand that he was making enemies in the Pharisees. And, and during this time, the religious leaders of the day had also started to make their minds up about Christ. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 12 now, look at Matthew 12, and I'm just putting this in context, giving you the period of time here. Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 14. Notice, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. And charged them that they should not uh, make him known, that it may, might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall, not, he shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not uh, break, and smoking flax shall he not quench till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. And so during this time, because of, the, because of the, the rejection of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, Jesus was starting to shift, according to prophecy here, his, his ministry and his, his focus towards, towards building some momentum towards the Gentiles. And look at verses 47 to 50. And here he, he, was, he, was, uh, he, was, he was thronged with, with this great crowd. There was a, a press because of the, the miracles. And, 
And someone says this, while he yet talked, verse 46, to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Verse 47, then one said unto him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. So understand that, that his, 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 uh, his immediate family were there. He was, of course, uh, uh, a, a Jewish man um, uh, by birth. But he answered and said unto him and to- that told him, who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. And he was starting to shift his focus. Because of the rejection that he faced uh, from the religious leaders of the day, he was starting to, to now, understand, he was trying to help the people understand who were around him. That the, the nationality, the, the, the Israelites that he was ministering, that he's messaging to, he was starting to shift away. Jesus has been rejected by the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus' language toward Israel was starting to become, uh, become directed more toward a moving away from them. And, and really, that started to take great momentum after John the Baptist's death. Because at his death, really, that, that, that drew to a close almost, that prophetic ministry that was happening. And so this marked a shift. And, and so Jesus from then spoke in parables. In, in Matthew 13, look at verses 13 to 15. It says, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they, see, they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So referring to the house of Israel. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And he's saying this to his disciples. And he's saying, no, I'm closing now. I'm starting to to shift my focus, and you need to start to shift your focus on what's to come. But again, we're in a transition period. We're in a period that's, that's unique. It's in between. And, and we know then that after his death, after his, his burial, and then, as promised, his resurrection, it was then that Jesus commanded his disciples to spread the gospel, not just to the, uh, to the nation of Israel, but to all nations, right? That's where we get the Great Commission. We know in, in, um, in Matthew 28, in Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 24, John chapter 20, Acts 1.8, that he commands them to go into all the world. But previous to that, his ministry and his focus was the house of Israel. But the rejection of John the Baptist, the rejection of the, of the Messiah himself, then then. Uh, emerges into this new dispensation, the church age. You understand? And, and so, so prior to that, the gospel prior to this really was distinct from Paul's gospel of the grace of God. Um, prior to this, it was the gospel of, of the kingdom. And, and, and some, say, some believe that in, in the, the Great Commission there, that, um, that, that, that the gospel that Jesus was still referring to was the gospel of the kingdom. But but I beg to differ because he was commissioning now into a new dispensation. We know that that, that was his desire for his disciples. And, and yet we know his disciples didn't quite get it yet, did they? 
because they still kept going back to the house of Israel. There had to be another rejection of that message. But we understand Paul's gospel was the gospel of the grace of God. Paul preached the cross. Christ crucified. Okay, Paul's gospel was, was that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. We know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so for Paul, the preaching of the cross was good news. But contrast that here. The, the cross really was not good news as Peter proclaimed in his message. Look at, look at Acts chapter 2. Notice the, 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 the wording here, the verbiage that, that, uh, that Peter uses here in the early days after the ascension of Jesus Christ. Look at Acts 2.23. Again, and he's referring to Jesus here. You men of Israel, verse 22, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So, so it's a really, he, he's, he's helping them understand, you crucified him. You need to repent of this. You did wrong. And then notice um, there later down the, the passage, look at verses 36 to 38. Look at verses 36 to 38. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But, but notice again, his, his whole messaging was to, still to the house of Israel there. And he was saying to them, no, you repent of the fact that you've crucified him. You, you need to turn to him because he's the, he's the savior. He's the one. But listen, you crucified him. You did wrong. And so this was, uh, this was really, if you, if you contrast that to the good news of the grace of God, it was still in this transitionary period. This period was, was still transitionary in Jesus' positioning his disciples to preach his gospel and not just to the house of Israel and a focus there on them but a focus now on the rest the Gentiles to all the world and really this all culminated in Acts chapter 8 when the first Gentile was really saved and look at Acts chapter 8 look at verses 20, 29 to 38 And verse 29, then, then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to his chariot. And, and, and he was taken by spirit to this Ethiopian, and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? So he asked the guy, he notices he had a scroll. He had opened it to Isaiah. And he says, uh, Do you understand what you read? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me and he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare this his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, uh, this of himself or of some other man? 
Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the, at the same scripture, and this is a good thing, preached unto him Jesus. And as, they, and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So really, it, the, this, this period that we're speaking about it runs from that, that, that time of John the Baptist's death right through to this place here. And we're going to see then that, that some significant things start to happen with the movement towards grace. Saul, he gets saved. And Saul becomes who? Paul. Right, church, are we, we following tonight? Saul becomes Paul, and Paul was a chosen vessel to preach the gospel to who? The Gentiles. And we're here tonight. And, and this, this whole process was a transitionary period that was unique. It really didn't have the same uh, markings as a, as a dispensation. It didn't have the, uh, the, the direct uh, command of God towards, towards people and their responsibility. Uh, there were some things, and, and this period differs uh, from a dispensation in that, that there, there's no distinct features regarding the demands of God and the corresponding responsibility of man. All right, if you, if you study through, uh, Jesus had differing responses to different people. And there was no clear directive as in, as in typical dispensations that we've, we've been looking at. And I think, I think as you study and look through the, this period that's unique, it really is a good reminder that we ought to look at the Word of God with the lens of faith. Okay, believing what God said. And understanding where we can make direct application, and again, to whom it is speaking to, we've got to be careful. Remember, the, the, at the beginning of our series, this saying, all of the Bible is written for us, but not all the Bible is written to us. Remember, make sure you get the correct mail. And, and it, if you study through this without discernment and without understanding that this is a transitionary period, wherewith the, the, the age of gray, uh, law was closing and the movement from Israel to, to, to the Gentile nations was happening in all of the midst of, of this time, then there's some things there that, that's going to be put out of place and you could be in a dangerous situation there. And so it's really important that, that you understand that this period differs. And, and really, when you think about it, the sovereignty of God is evident here. Remember again, um, God doesn't have to fit into our neat theological box. God is God. He is sovereign. He is above all. And He doesn't have to fit into our expectation of Him. And certainly, as you read through this, and as I read through it, it was another reminder that God isn't boxed in in all of that. that. That He does what He pleases and He chooses in this period to speak forth to differing people, differing instructions. And you, you know this, he knows what's needed. He knows the heart. And so this, this period here, there's a couple of major things that happen in this period. Uh, through this period, um, although only about three and a bit years in length, major things happen. The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ happens. 
Okay, Matthew chapters 26 to 28, Mark chapter 14 to 16, Luke chapter 22 to 24, John 18 to 21. Okay, all of those cover the, uh, the, 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 the time of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, it also covers in Acts chapter 1 the ascension of Christ, where he, he ascends to heaven. But then also, importantly, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, if you turn there really quickly. So this is the period of time. It, the, the, these are some major things that happen during this period of time. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And again, this is unique. Okay, this doesn't happen in every service. Actually, it never happens. <laughs> this is the, first, the uh, one time. <laughs> okay, uh, we could, nothing can replicate this. This was unique in this period. But this was a major, a major, a major event, uh, the day of Pentecost. But, but I want you to note, and we won't take the time here, but right through as, as they were filled with the Holy Ghost, that even as they spoke to different men with different languages, they were all Jew. The, the, the messaging was still Jewish. Even though they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they were still, they were still preaching to those who were Jew. And, and so the, the tongues of differing nations that's described through this passage of Scripture, they're all Jewish and, and they, were, they were directed here to the nation of Israel. But then another significant thing happens here in Acts chapter 7. And so turn to Acts chapter 7. And remember I, I mentioned that, that there had to be a really a rejection of the message to, the, to Israel. And so the, the fourth major thing that happened is this, the resisting of Israel and of the Holy Ghost and His pointing to Jesus as Christ. There had to be a, reje- a rejection. Look at Acts chapter 7. And, and here, uh, Stephen speaking, and he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charan. And so he goes through this whole defense of himself. He was accused by those, uh, the religious leaders of the day. And he goes through, and if you read it, we won't take the time tonight. He basically goes through the whole history of Israel as his defense. But note here, verses 51 to 60, he gets to the end of it. And notice what he says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the right, on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, he died. But, but notice there, there was a rejection of the message 
of the gospel. There was a rejection. They, they gnashed at their th- at, uh, with their teeth. They, they stoned Stephen because of the message that he was preaching. And really, this was a major turning point. This led, as we read there, to Stephen's stoning. And yet we know that Saul was there. And at this point, he was a great persecutor of the church. He was a great enemy. Later in Acts chapter 22, turn there with me, Acts 22. He refers to this. Acts 22, look at verse 12. So he's recounting the, the time he had gotten saved. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And so he's, he's, he's receiving this vision. And I said, Lord, they know that I am prisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And notice verse 20, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, therefore, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. So this, this resisting of Israel of the Holy Ghost and, and, and his pointing to Jesus as Christ, this was a pivotal moment because it resulted in the stoning of Stephen. But as Paul recalls, it made an impact in his life. It made an impact as he must have observed that young man, Stephen, being, being persecuted for his faith and made an impact. And, you know, the, the wording that, that Jesus used in, in referring to that was, um, it was this, uh, how hard is it that you kick against the pricks? You're kicking against something that's convicting you. And Paul is recalling this. And now, Paul, who's going to be the steward of the gospel of grace to the Gentiles, is on his way. And so, fifthly, the, the, the other major event here is the stoning of Stephen. But then, as we've already noted, the salvation of the eunuch. This was the beginning now of this dispensation of grace uh, this ushered in the dispensation of grace in the church age. God was moving from law to grace. Okay, from the nation of Israel as a whole to all men. Okay, to all men, including Gentiles. And really it blossomed in Antioch with the people of the way. Before that, they were always called the people of the way. But then in Acts 11.26, they were called Christians. And now Paul was a steward of this time of the church age. And so it's really important to, to understand those things. And, you know, as you study through, I, I, I'd just like to, to challenge you. Read with discernment. Understand, understand where, where uh, these, these divisions lie. Understand in this period, it was a unique period of time where God was in His economy moving from the law 
to a, to a message of grace. You see, Christ fulfilled the law. At the death of the testator, the New Testament came. But there was this, there was this big transition period as, as God was setting up His economy now, His administration, His dispensation to now move towards dealing with individuals and dealing with Gentiles, dealing with the church. All right, and so next week, Lord willing, we're going to get into now in earnest just looking at the dispensation of grace. All right, so let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to, to uh, dismiss us with blessing tonight. Father, thank you again, Lord, just for your word. And I know, Lord, that um, there's just many things that we could have also mentioned tonight. Um, really, that we could, have, we could have done a whole study on this for the rest of the year. So I pray, Father, that, Lord, in just the short time that we've had, that there has been um, just a growth in understanding. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to, uh, to approach your word by faith. And, Lord, understand your, your, uh, your working, understand, dear God, how you move and how you've, uh, you just willed it uh, during this period, Lord, that we've studied. And I pray, that, dear God, that now as, as we live in this age of grace, that, Lord, we not take lightly, uh, Lord, the, the great message of the gospel. I pray that you'd help us as we head into this time throughout uh, throughout the week that we might be faithful witnesses for you. And I pray that you'd help us now in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. All right, uh, let's sing a song. Let's all stand. Brother Army, if you could lead.